Our reading tonight is taken from Exodus 3, verses 13 to 22, and I'm reading for the NIV version. And you need to keep in mind what we heard this morning, because it's all part of the same story. I love these passages from Exodus. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What's his name then? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians." Thank you, Ray. Um, so I don't know if you're uh, people who are much into box setting. This is a, a new word in our vocabulary, isn't it? The, um, and uh, this is like watching a whole series of, of TV dramas, or one after the other. You know, and you, you say well, we could go to bed, but let's find out what happens. You know, move on to the next one and the next one. And um, one of the things when you, when you get a box set or a good drama or something, um, you, get the, you get the kind of previously bit, don't you? Um, now, sometimes I skip through the previously bit, um, but I think, um, as Ray's kind of alluded to, there's a bit of previously um, in this bit of our story of Exodus. And... Um, I guess if I don't know if anyone's going to box set the whole lot once we've got them all on the website, we could we could have a, an evening where we all sit down and listen to the whole of Exodus preached. 
there's not much enthusiasm for this. <laughs> um, if, if we do that, then we can skip through this bit, because this is the previously. Um, and I looked up something, and then uh, I can't remember where it came from. It was some, someone else's sermon. But he did so much of a better job um, of, uh, of giving this, uh, this kind of scheme. So here's the previously bit. In the grand narrative of history that's been unfolding, God remains in control. Though the children of Israel now found themselves in slavery in Egypt, God has not forgotten his promises to his people. In fact, God has already been fulfilling his promise to make a great nation for Abraham. He will now continue to fulfill his promise by delivering them from the slavery of Egypt and taking them towards the land of promise. God had been faithfully working out the fulfillment of his promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The people of Israel had become so great in number that a new Pharaoh, one that did not know Joseph, had committed them to forced labour and ordering the killing of all Hebrew baby boys. God protected one of those boys, Moses, allowed him to be raised in Pharaoh's house and sent Moses into the wilderness for 40 years to prepare him for his God-assigned task of leading God's people out of the land of Egypt. God had not forgotten his people or his promises. He had heard their cries. He would act now to deliver them. And then, you know, roll credits. That's the the, the beginning bit, isn't it? Um, So we're going to look really at at what this means for for Moses, what it meant for the the nation of Israel. And... uh, this is, this, again, the second part of what Tim spoke about this morning. Some of the things that came out of uh, the, the beginning of the kind of the burning bush commissioning. Um, the God said, I am the God of your father. He said, I've seen and heard. He said, I will come and rescue. And then, uh, as Tim said this morning, he said, and I'm sending you. You're the means. And then, of course, God says, I will be with you. And just like uh, when Jesus commissions his, his disciples, he says, I will be with you, and keeps reminding them that he will be with us in this mission. So now we're kind of, that's the previously. Um, so we're, we're, now, we're now up to speed, and we're into the, this kind of second chunk of, of what God has said to Moses in this text. So the first thing Moses says is, well, who shall I say who sent me? And um, there are still these issues of identity. I think Moses certainly had um, an interesting uh, upbringing, um, an interesting childhood, and maybe perhaps if we were to psychoanalyse him, we might find that um, the identity was probably a little bit of an issue with him. But I think um, at this point, when God is speaking to him, he's still bringing the questions, but, um, but God is answering the questions. So he says, Kana says, who am I? And Kana says, and who are you? Who shall I say? I've had this experience of God. I've had this awesome time, and I've, this burning bush thing has happened, which, frankly, is you know, not that usual in, in his experience. And uh, he says, who, who shall I say has sent me? And, of course, God says, say that I am has sent you, or I am who I am. And Claire dealt with this um, a couple of weeks ago, really, um, But it's worth repeating the phrase, which um, we borrowed from Carl Martin, that I am who I am makes me who I am. And isn't that the case with Moses? The the I am who I am actually makes him who he is. Actually kind of empowers the, uh, the, the, we know, you know, uh, a cracking education was received, we know that. Um, And then, uh, uh, you know, 40 40 years of kind of, 
not seeming like there was a mission, there's this murder, and, and isn't that just like that, that our identities and our upbringing and the things that shape us, uh, we think are the things that make us who we are. But the reality of this is, when we're commissioned of God, it is I am whose identity makes us who we are. And of course, there is some, um, even at this point, you know, we, we look back at the Bible and we think, well, how did they, how did they not know? But in, in my reading of it, God's identity isn't really very clear. Um, God spoke to Abraham, God spoke to Isaac, God spoke, God spoke to the kind of fathers and they clearly knew a little bit more of God. I don't know whether there was a kind of oral tradition, but we have to remember that all the writing down happened in the Moses era. So all the, um, all the law and all the history and all of that information about God came, uh, came later. So there was this, who is this God? There was this kind of phase of um, the kind of real a re-establishing of God's identity, of, of this God of your fathers, the God who's been around, the God who has been there from the beginning. It's this God. It's this God. And that's why it's such a good question to say, well, who is sending me? It's, it's God. It's the God. Um, and we talk a little bit about the idea of some of the gods and things that were kind of floating around at that time in history. But essentially, when God says, I am, he's saying, it's me. It, it's kind of God, God. It's big G God, none of that little God, G God stuff, because the Egyptians were very much into the little G gods, and they had plenty of them. So God's identity is established, he's, um, and he speaks to, to Moses so that Moses can say who he's been commissioned by, and he deals with some of Moses' kind of um, perhaps fears, perhaps anxieties about being commissioned by this God. And then God gives instructions um, uh, for what we'd call in our house the getting the gang together scene, uh, going back to our kind of ideas of, of film. He says, go and get the elders, you know? And um, uh, if it was um, uh, the Italian job or the Blues Brothers, there'd be a whole long montage of going around all the elders, kind of knocking up each one saying, come on, we've been commissioned. We've got a job to do. God has called us. I am has called us. We've got a mission. And then God, of course, gives Moses the plan. And again, in my kind of filmic idea of how this, how this has gone, um, which might have just have been my kind of way of getting through my sermon preparation, I'm not sure. But um, there's this kind of idea that there's God gives the plan. And the plan is good. Um, the plan is, you know, go and, and say to Pharaoh, God has called us. And come out and make sacrifices. Come, come and, come and um, be reconciled to God, effectively. You know, we talked a little bit this morning about how many chances did the Egyptians get. And here's a chance. This is, this is last chance territory. To go to Pharaoh and say, come and, come and worship. Come and worship the God, the God of Abraham. Come and worship, I am. And of course, um, with a little bit of a kind of... Um, nod in the direction of some of our kind of discussions about free will and predestination, God knows what Pharaoh's going to pick. So he has the option, but God knows that Pharaoh 
uh, Pharaoh's heart is hard and he picks the wrong, uh, the wrong outcome. He doesn't come and worship God in the desert with the elders of Israel and Moses. He, uh, he is, you know, he's against it. But God's got another bit of a plan that his mighty hand will compel Pharaoh and will compel the Egyptians to release uh, God's people from their slavery. And then there's this funny little bit at the end, which took me a little bit of time to work out. But not only will God free the people from slavery, that he will, um, he will do this thing where they go and ask the Egyptians for stuff, uh, for the, the gold and the, and the, you know, the stuff, the, the, the money. Um, and the Egyptians will give it to them. Um, and it seems very odd. And um, I found a, a little bit from um, John Wesley's commentary about it, and I, I, I kind of like this. He said, um, Every woman shall ask, uh, not borrow, ask for jewels, and, and will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. God sometimes makes the enemies of his people not only be at peace with them, but be kind to them. And he has many ways of balancing accounts between injured and injurious, of righting the oppressed and compelling those who've done wrong to make restitution. And it's a really interesting idea that God is going to compel the Egyptians to not only uh, release the, uh, the people of Israel, or will become the people of Israel, from their slavery, but also kind of give them a, a kind of blessing, give them plunder, give them something more. And uh, it is a way that God has of kind of setting things right. And uh, I, I, like, I like John Wesley's idea about it. So that is what it is um, in itself. That's what the story is in itself. It's this kind of moving on from the, the kind of awesomeness into the, and now this is the stuff I want you to do. Here's the plan. Here's how it's going to go. Here's how it's going to go, Moses. So that's what it was for them then. And I'd like to look a bit um, about what it says to us today. What is that? What is that? What is that little bit, a little bit of a story that happened, you know, so long ago, got to say to us? Well, the question is, of course, why so much about identity? There was loads of stuff in there about identity, about God's identity, about Moses' identity, all the identity stuff. And wouldn't you say that identity is still a key issue for us? You know, it's a key issue for us as a nation, and in this time, kind of politically, it's kind of, well, who are we as a nation? But um, that's been going on for a long time, hasn't it? You know, the, the, the whole kind of political backdrop of where we are now, actually, there is something about who we are, who we are as a nation, where we fit, but where we fit as individuals, where we fit in society, is such a, um, such a, a kind of hot topic. And then, of course, there is this idea of who is God. The, uh, the context that, um, that Moses is in is interesting. The Egyptians had um, loads of different gods, as I alluded to earlier. Um, they considered sacred uh, the lion, the ox, the ram, the wolf, the dog, the cat, the ibis, the vulture, um, the falcon, the hippopotamus, the crocodile, the cobra, the dolphin, um, some fish, some trees, some small insects, um, frogs, scarabs, locusts, and other insects. Um, and then they had some sort of anthropomorphic man gods as well. Um, 
uh, um, which were uh, An Amun, Atum, and Azores. Um, and then, of course, they considered that their pharaoh was also a god. So um, it's, I think it's safe to say that the context is that the Egyptians' um, ideas about the identity of God were pretty mixed up. And that's the, the kind of historical context we're in. People are looking... The, the, the kind of primitive religions are in this kind of stage and pantheistic religions are developing. And, um, of course, this pharaoh was also saying, well, I'm God as well. So maybe in the, on the question of timing, on the question of when was it right for God to bring his people out of Egypt, I think perhaps the idea that they were working for someone who thought they were God or thought they were a God um, was probably a, a, a part of that. You know, this wasn't, just wasn't right that that God's people should be repressed and, and subjugated by these people who were pl- putting themselves into God's place. But there was a search for the identity of the divine. That's what these kind of religions were about, weren't they? They're looking for a God, but, but God's saying, I am. I'm the God. You know, I'm the God from the beginning. I'm the God who created all this. I'm the God who said, let us make man in our image. But don't we see a search now for a kind of identity of something divine? People are looking for something spiritual. We met somebody um, last summer who seemed like a really interesting person. Um, And she was so kind of open and so warm and so interested in spiritual things. And we were with a, a kind of really weird mixed group of kind of um, Brighton hippies and Christian friends at a campsite. And how we all ended up there is um, a kind of bit of a long story. But it was so interesting to speak to this woman because she was so spiritually open and open to spiritual things. Um, A little while later, Claire, you know, a little Facebook message pinged up because Claire had friended this person, saying, oh, I'm so happy I'm becoming a witch. Um, And it was just almost in the same phrase I mean in the same mode you know I'm just looking for something spiritual I'm really interested in spiritual things I'm just looking around for something and that's what people are like people are looking for the identity of the divine a bit like the Egyptians were we're saying is it a hippopotamus no is it a you know is it a crocodile is it this is it that where where is this god and the people get into these kind of foreign gods because they are looking and we see it on Alpha. We are, we, we've been talking about, you know, where does the, the want to worship come from? Where does the conscience spring from? Where is this kind of uh, something within us that knows we are set up to know God? And it is there, but it can be so misplaced and misdirected. And isn't that what our society is like now? So we've got to ask ourselves, how do we know God? How do we know the identity of God? And uh, now, of course, we have the Bible as well. You know, these guys didn't have the Bible. They just kind of had the tradition. Um, They just had the meetings with God that various people had had. And and now we're up to Moses having a really interesting encounter with God. And maybe him being the one who expresses a bit about who God is. But the way... The way to know God's character, the way to know God's identity is to meet with him. 
and whether we meet with him through the pages of the Bible, whether we meet with him kind of in the way Moses did, or maybe in the way Saul did with the kind of blinding light experience. There's a revelation of his character. There's a revelation of God's identity. That's why this Old Testament stuff is important. Somebody asked on Alpha, why do we, why do we bother with all this Old Testament stuff? And this is what I would say, I probably did say. Um, I've done so many Alphas now, I can't remember what I said on each one. Um, and probably Tim can't either. We just kinda, but we've got to this point where, why is this interesting? Why is this useful? And this Old Testament stuff gives us the knowledge of God's character, the history of his dealing with his people. That's why we have it. So how can we apply this stuff today? And I've got, um, I've got kind of two points. Now, um, your points are supposed to be easy to distinguish and, you know, all start with the same letter and all that. Um, I haven't really gone that way today um, because what I'd like us to, to do, what I'd like us to do to, um, to apply this is, firstly, this is about being delivered from slavery. We know that this whole beginning bit is about being delivered from slavery. And um, we don't really need uh, all those kind of allegories that people have written because this actual story is the kind of... It's like a deliverance, isn't it? It's like like a salvation journey. Um, And I think that will become abundantly clear as we progress through Exodus. And this is the delivery. We're getting to the point where they're going to be taken out of slavery. And that is what our salvation is. We are delivered from the slavery to sin. But um, we need to continue to be free. And as we go through Exodus, we'll go through all those bits, I'm sure, where people say, well, it was better back in Egypt. And then they start worshipping foreign gods and they do all the stuff. And they kind of start to lose, in some ways, their freedom. Um, but Galatians 5.1 says this, um, and in reference to my friend Nigel, um, he, he was very keen that this should be delivered from the King James Version. So uh, just in, in a Nigel credit. Um, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So firstly, we're free, but be freer. There's more freedom and there is the potential that we just get bound not necessarily, you know, I'm not talking about bar worship here. I'm just talking about losing our effectiveness through just stuff like getting worn out, getting tired, getting squashed, getting used to the way things are. And there is freedom that we have to kind of maintain and continue to walk in. Once we're delivered from Egypt, and we're right at the point where they're just about to go, and I, I love this bit. bit. I, when, I, when I saw I was preaching from Exodus, I was like, oh, I hope I get that Passover bit. I really want that. I don't know who's got that, Tim. I don't, don't know who's got that in this game. Uh, they'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, you know, kind of the stuff about the blood on the doorpost, all of that is coming. It's very, very exciting. We're going to be free. We're going to ha- kind of have that whole experience where we can kind of relive our salvation experience. What a great story. What a, what a great encouragement. But my encouragement to us tonight is, let us be free. Let us stand fast in the freedom. Let us continue to be free. Let us live free. Let us live freer. So live freer. Be freer. Be functional 
effective Christians by standing fast in that liberty that Christ has given us. But my second point in the freedom bit is once we're freer, we need to be a freer. Okay, that's what God did with Moses. He said, I'm going to deliver people and I'm going to use you. So be a freer. There are people who need freedom from what they're in. They need freedom from the loss of identity, the forgetting forgetting what God is or who God is. They need to be free from the foreign gods. They need to be brought into a place of liberty. And just like Moses, just like God calls Moses, God calls us and says, be a freer. Um, I had to kind of write this down, so I would kind of say it right. But this is what I think God's saying. People have forgotten the identity of God. They've forgotten the God of their fathers and grandfathers. God has a plan to save people from slavery, the slavery that they're in, and deliver them from the power of their gods. God calls us to be Moses in the situation. And he has a plan, not only to free people from slavery, but to bless them with plunder. Not only does God want to free people, he wants to bless them. I think that's what God's saying for now. We're in a situation where the people haven't got the knowledge of God. It's lost. The knowledge of God that maybe, you know, maybe our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have lost the knowledge lost the God of their fathers. But God says, that's okay. I've got a plan for them. Um, just another, another little bit of, bit of Wesley, the other one. Um, when I looked at this, um, I just picked out a little bit from And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what God has for people. Amen.